Pastor Joe. And I'm Kirsten. We've served in church leadership for over two decades. And most of that, we've been on staff together. We're here to talk about our faith, family, and ministry. Welcome to Under the Hood. I'm going to try not to cough in the microphone. Oh, my word. No, I really am going to try really hard not to cough into the microphone today. Joe has been coughing nonstop for about at least a week to the point where I'm like annoyed by it. And I usually don't get annoyed by people coughing. But you get, it's not like I can control it. When you got a cough, you got a cough. Then take medicine. I'm, well, what I have in my mouth right now is a Vapo Cool Severe Menthol Oral anesthetic. Oh my gosh, this is a commercial. (laughs) Also known as a cough drop. Um, I hope that people can't hear it, but it's better than you coughing. I will try not to roll it around in my mouth where you can hear it. But um, no, I've been struggling a little bit. I is it allergies? What is? I think so. Just allergy. I feel great. Um, But you know, Saturday and Sunday, I preach six times in a row for Easter. And I thought once or twice I was about to go into a coughing fit, but the Lord helped me out. I didn't. I had I had a few times I had to kind of put my hand over my, my mic and cough. And I try to do that very subtly. And I don't know what it is, but when I look down to read scripture, that's when it hits me. I don't know if it's the motion of my head looking down, but usually like, okay, so let's uh, pick up the text in John chapter 20, verse two. <laughs> oh, geez. I don't, so it wasn't too bad, but. But um, no, it's it's actually better the last two days. But Saturday and Sunday, I was a little bit worried. Easter was awesome. You have to admit, Easter was awesome around here. Yeah. Oh, six Easter services. Was really awesome. Every service was just full. I mean, a couple of them were jammed full. We ran out of parking. Um, um, I was told that we had at one point over seventy-five cars parked just in our off-site parking Overflow. lot. That's because you preached too long at eight thirty, and no one had anywhere to go. So they had to go to overflow. Yeah. I mean, our, we had a parking jam all was, weekend long. It was fun. But I it loved it. I mean, it was weekend. great. Everybody stayed positive about it, but we did have quite a bit of parking lot issues. And we normally have to have overflow parking anyway on an well, average Sunday. because you but, normally preach too long and create parking issues. Don't listen to her, America. <laughs> it's all perspective. Listen, I have my own <laughs> idea of how to solve a parking problem, but... but Easter I, I was, rarely get listened to around here. <laughs> Easter was amazing. It was the largest attendances we've ever had here at the church. And it's just, you know, I, I saw, like if you'd asked me a couple years ago, could our facility physically handle that many people? And um, I would have said, no, I don't think so. But with six services, spread them out um, over two different days, mm-hmm. we barely made it. I was blown away by how many or how our people disseminated across those six services. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like almost perfectly even. I mean, it, we couldn't have done it. I couldn't have gone any better, even if we had like a sign-up list. Hey, we'll take the first 300 for this service. We'll take the next 300 or 400 right? for this service. We'll take the next 350 for that service. Right. And may, and we would never do that, of right. course. But if we had mapped it out and assigned everybody a service, I don't think it would have come out any more perfect. Just the way six really full services. So good job, everyone. Good job. Yeah. You you chose wisely. I think it was Holy Spirit led. And was. I, I want to definitely thank those people who specifically told me, hey, we're coming at this service because we figured that the 
10 a.m. on Sunday would be packed and we want to leave room for guests. And I thought that was how awesome. Well, this is a little bit of um, under the hood information for those of you who come regularly. Our two largest services of each weekend were our smallest services of the weekend for Easter, which is super ironic. Still full. Yeah, very full, but they were the smallest attended because I think everybody who regularly comes to those shifted Uh to a different service hour because they knew it's always jam-packed, and so we need to leave room for people. That's why our church is awesome. And it was so crazy awesome. Our people are like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll get, it basically this mentality, I'll change times and give up my seat. For somebody that's never been here before. Yep. That's huge. That is huge. And so but it was a good weekend, but you were exhausted when you came home. Okay, so you know that um you know that scene from Forrest Gump where you know <laughs> he gets up and um Jenny leaves him and he just starts running. And he goes, I ran to the end of my street, so I just kept going. I ran to the end of our town, I kept branded in the county, ran to the other I ran all the way across the United States. When I got there, I turned around and came back. You know wait, that scene. Wait, wait. You're not talking like Forrest Gump. You usually do it with your Forrest <laughs> well, Gump talk. Well, I got a sore throat, but anyway, oh, I'm coughing. Okay. Yeah. No, but it's because you have a cough. So he about. runs for like three years. And so he's running through, it looks like the desert. And he stops. He's got a big beard and a, he's got his Bubba Gump shrimp hat on. And he's got like 30 people following. And they're like, stop. He stops. Like, oh, he's going to say something. And he goes, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. You know that scene? <laughs> I felt that way after the sixth service. At one o'clock on Sunday, I was standing around with John and a few others. I go, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> think I'll go home now. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> that's exactly um, that's exactly how I felt. And and I was, I was um, I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna fall asleep tired. I was like, my hips hurt tired. Yeah. And um, I, wear, I I changed to tennis shoes a long time ago. I preach in tennis shoes. I used to preach in dress shoes. And I would come home after four services and be like, why do my hips hurt? Why do my knees, you know, why? Yeah. And, and I know I'm getting older. I know that. And, uh, but um, when I switched, to, I switched to hookahs, I don't know if you guys have ever worn a pair of hookahs. They're the most comfortable shoe I've ever had in my life. Hmm. And they really like their shoe because they make you pay for it big time. But <laughs> but I started preaching in a pair of hookahs, just a black pair of hookah tennis shoes. Changed your life. Man, I don't hurt at all anymore. That's awesome. This Except not, for Easter. Easter, I was hurting. I think those two extra services, you know, plus I've packed on a little bit more over the winter than I care to admit. So I am now. <laughs> Coming out of hibernation. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So America, you heard it here first. Joe Williams is on a diet. And... um no more Easter eggs for you. No more Cadbury eggs for me. Um, but no, for for real. I, mean, I think everyone who's in ministry understands that Easter is just exhausting across the board, and to do extra services and to be a not parent, just, not and, just for the preacher, for the whole staff. Oh yeah, for, that's what I'm saying. For everyone, for um, even the volunteers, it's exhausting, and so um, it, it's just a big weekend. It's hard on families. It's you know everything has to shift. So, yeah. but it's also super exciting, and it's a lot of fun. I I miss the whole Saturday night thing because. I was with our son at a military ball, so I didn't yep. get to experience all the Saturday night excitement because um, we had to divide and conquer um, and go that way. And then Brock yeah. stayed here and served with you. So 
I think what hit me pretty hard after Easter was the realization because it was a very full weekend because you mentioned the military ball mm-hmm. and Easter and it not it hit us pretty hard um, Sunday night that that was our son Neil's last Easter with us mm-hmm. for who knows when. So we still did a little Easter egg hunt. We did do an Easter egg hunt with, with our teenage boys and yeah. some friends came over, but but I will say this that um, that hit me pretty hard and there's been a lot of things that have been hit me pretty hard. It's like for those of you who don't know, our son Neil is got an appointment to the Naval Academy, so in June he is. Um, going to become the property of the Navy for the next nine years of his life, mm-hmm. which honestly is a good thing because the Navy needs to take over the burden of feeding that boy. Amen. Um, okay. So truth right there. But I, I actually took a picture of his dinner last night. He came home from, I believe, working out because that's what he usually does. He comes home from working out and he had a chicken breast, no, two chicken breasts, broccoli. And while he's warming that up, he was making himself a turkey sandwich. I know. And then he goes to the refrigerator to get himself a protein shake. Yes. So I have a picture of a protein shake, a sandwich, two chicken breasts and broccoli on his plate at the dinner table. And I was like, oh my word. I don't know. That's, that's what I eat in a day. That's what he had for one meal. So this morning I was up with the boys and they were getting ready for school and we were chatting. And, and um, I said, what are you guys doing for lunch today? You want to make some sandwiches? And they're like, yeah, yeah, do that. And so um, uh, I made him a couple breakfast sandwiches. And then um, for, for Brock, I made him a sandwich for his lunch today. And, and, um, and I said, Neil, what are you going to eat for lunch? He goes, I'm going to grab a chicken box, which for those who don't know, we do like meal prep days in advance. We have all these... These little containers will cook a bunch of chicken breasts, load them full of chicken and broccoli. And, you know, that's what I'm eating right now, too. And because I'm on a diet. But anyway, um, so Neil goes, I'm going to grab a chicken box. Great. Nope. No big deal. It's normal. And he goes, but I'm going to get a school lunch, too. I'm like, well, hold oh, on. My word. I said, what do you mean you're going to get a school lunch? He goes, yeah. While I'm warming up the chicken, I'll eat a school lunch. And he goes, <laughs> I said, why? And he goes, calories, Dad. I need calories. I'm bulking up. <laughs> So the, we have gone from cutting, 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 cutting for wrestling to bulk, 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 bulk workout. So oh, well, I just I just looked up this picture. I forgot he also had sliced ham leftover okay. from Easter. <laughs> so we'll put that on the show notes so you can see a little meal, just just a little meal because I'm sure he ate more than that. But I think this year more than you know, legacy is something that has been on our mind for many years. It's something that. You know, you and I had predetermined years ago when we had children, we were going to instill a legacy mm-hmm. and there are going to be some some things. But, you know, now that, you know, some godly principles, some things that are important to us, we want to be important to our children. And now that Neil's about to fly the nest, um, you know, and we're having all these realizations, last, last Easter, last Mother's Day, maybe last Father's Day. Um you know, we'll see him at Thanksgiving and Christmas up, but you know, his time home is going to be very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've had these two conversations. Legacy, have we done everything to instill in that young man to to be a good, outstanding citizen of the United States? <laughs> good, outstanding to tackle adulthood, but also to tackle all these things as a Christian man. And um, you know, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about legacy. So today we want to talk about in this episode a little bit about legacy. And I don't know if, if you've spent much time thinking about legacy or not. And if you haven't, I mean, I hope that this podcast kind of sparks some thinking on that. But legacy is something that Kirsch and I seem to 
talk about often and we have for years, ever since we started having children, about what kind of legacy we're going to leave for our kids. And I know that legacy building doesn't just stop now that one of our kids is starting off on his adult journey. I mean, a legacy takes a lifetime to build. But something that I read that John Maxwell wrote years ago that has always just stayed with me. I've never forgotten it. He's in and the quote just goes like this. If you are successful, it becomes possible for you to leave an inheritance for others. But if you desire to create a legacy, then you need to leave something in others. And I love that. And I absolutely, you know, have been inspired by that and, and others about what does it look like to, to carry on? You know, when you think of legacy, what do you think about Kirsten? You know, things we've talked about, like passing on the family business or, right. you know, um, it's interesting to me how many professional athletes have children that turn around and become professional, professional athletes yeah. because they see something in you that they want. And, and somehow you have in a way gifted them or given them something that wanted them to pursue the same thing. You know, it's not uncommon for ministers to have sons who go in the ministry and have grandsons. Which is more shocking than anything. You know, my father's a minister. I followed in his footsteps. That's true. And, you know, in fact, I've got quite a long legacy in my family Mm -hmm. tree of of ministers and church leaders. But, you know, you know, I don't I'm not forcing my children or pushing them that direction. God calls people into ministry and and so if he calls them, that that's one thing. But that that concept of what you leave in somebody, you can always leave somebody something, but but leaving some, but leave something in somebody, that's huge. So whenever I see legacy stories about people who want to leave an impression, I always pay attention to that. You know, one of my favorite. Um, have you ever heard of of a guy named uh, Billy Stanley? Does Billy that, Stanley? No, I haven't heard that. I don't. I mean, this is kind of obscure, weird story. Um, he's a guy that died back in two thousand fourteen. Now, this made news for a couple minutes, but I just, when I saw it, I was like, oh, my goodness. So he passed away in 2014, and he had one dying wish, okay, just one. He wanted to be buried with his beloved Harley Davidson. He had a oh 1967 word. Harley Davidson, and he loved it so much, he actually gave it a name. He called it Astrid, okay? It was his favorite thing in the world. And and he loved it so much, he wanted to... to um, be immortalized, if you will. Like the legacy that he wanted to leave, he wanted the lasting impression was him riding this motorcycle. So so let me tell you what he did. Yeah, we need to know. Before he died, he arranged to have a custom glass casket built so that when he died, um, his body could be positioned on his motorcycle like he was riding it for all to see. Okay, it's true. this is a true story. I've got pictures of this whole thing that we can post them on the show notes. But so he kept his casket in his garage after he had it made. And when friends and people would come over, he would show them. He was like, hey, this is the casket that I'm going to be buried in. It's a glass casket. It's a big box. And um, and he would tell people, he's like, after I die, I, I want to be embalmed and I want to be mounted on this bicycle or this motorcycle. I mean, it's Harley. And I want to be buried. And so when he did die... What they did was it took five embalmers to pull off his request, and they they embalmed his body and positioned it like he was riding his Harley Davidson, and then they hooked that casket to a trailer, and they drove him around town in the he's dead, oh, but in the position. My goodness. <laughs> okay, it's a true story, and um and he he purchased an extra large cemetery plot 
they had to bring in a special crane to do this. So after they drove him all around town in this his dead body, mounted permanently on his 1967 Harley, then at his funeral, this crane lowered the whole thing in the ground, and then they buried it. And he's like, that is what I want my friends and family to remember about me. And I remember reading that I'm so that article. Puzzled. I'll have to dig out the article and we can we can put it on the show notes. But I was looking at these pictures of his dead body mounted on its Harley being paraded around town and buried in the ground. And is it allowed to parade around a dead body? That's weird. I mean, you can do it if you want. It's America. <laughs> Don't well, know. I think that's a little odd. You can do anything you want except speak the truth. Oh, and then, oh, oh. So. <laughs> That's so it's only when you start speaking truth that people go nuts um, and get enraged. But anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. So anyway, <laughs> I was going to say now we've really taken a turn. But, you know, I, was, I read that. And you know, when I say I got depressed, I wasn't depressed. I was just like saddened by it. I'm like, that's how he wants to be. Remember the culmination of your whole life comes down to I want people to remember that I love my Harley so much and I buried myself on it. You know, I, I, I would imagine a 1967 Harley is kind of rare. You know, somebody's thinking about digging that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, but, who who would know? Dig it up, take the Harley, bury it all back. I don't know. Freddie's really missed the point of of things. Totally, if that's what he's wanting totally to be remembered by, and that people are remembering him by. Like, yeah. this was the story that everybody has heard. You know, the, I think the coolest legacy story in the whole Bible is found in, in the book of Second Timothy, and and it has to do with Timothy and Paul's writing to him, and he, mm-hmm. and he talks about his the legacy in his family, mm-hmm. how his grandmother was you know uh, uh, a believer, and she passed on her faith to her daughter Eunice. So Lois is the grandmother, mm-hmm. then Eunice is the daughter, and then those two women made sure that their son and grandson Timothy also followed along. And Paul even says, you know, hey, Timothy, you have known the scripture since you were a very young baby, like in diapers, mm-hmm. you've known it. How did he know it? It's because his grandma and his mother made sure that he knows it. And I, I read that, I go, man, what an incredible legacy. Grandmother to mm-hmm. mother to mother to son. And and that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that Paul had said how you've known the scriptures. So that legacy involved knowing mm-hmm. what God's word says. From a young age. And so... You know, for me, I'm like, you know, of course, you know this. We've talked about it a lot, but when you talk about leaving a, a legacy, for us, and I can just I can just speak for us, um, we wanted to make sure that we made the Bible a big deal in our family. We wanted mm-hmm. Bibles to be present. We wanted to refer to Scripture often. Um, we uh, we wanted to do th- like make sure they're in, the boys are in church, involved with youth group, and so for us, the legacy we want to leave when our kids are gone. We want them to know that our family is Bible people. Mm-hmm. You know, we got our we got our our marching orders, if you will. We got our guide from God's word because it was that important. And so, you know, I, that's and a lot of that comes from from me just going. That's what I was shown me growing up. Yeah. In fact, I preached a sermon at New Life one time on legacy. I'm sure it's online somewhere you could find it, but. But I brought a whole bunch of Bibles out. Do you remember that? Yeah. I was going to say that. I think that was your very first time to preach here. So 
So when the church invited me to come guest preach in the summer of 2014. Guest preach. Guest preach. Yeah, yes. guest preach. It I wasn't a trial that. sermon. It was guest preach. Yes, it was guest preach. But I did that. I did that. There's I, more to that story, folks. We'll I thought that that's later. probably a good way for the church to get to know me. So, but, Yeah, but people remember that because they remember. But then a couple years later, I preached again. Oh, okay. Because church that, had, that happens. church had grown. <laughs> what? The church had grown so much. That uh, I thought, well, I could redo that sermon and it would be new information for a lot of people. But but here's what I did. I was talking about legacy and I brought this big stack of Bibles. In fact, um, in my office, I have what I call legacy shelf. And it's actually grown quite a bit. It actually takes up two shelves now. In fact, because we're recording this in my office, I'm looking at it. And I've got some old Bibles up there. I've got, I've got a Bible that was copyrighted back in 1849. So it's like over 170 years old. And um, I have a question for you, Kirsten. Um, in 1849, here's your, some trivia. Who huh. was the president of the United States in 1849? Do you know? I don't know these things. You don't have all 45 presidents remembered, 44, 44 however many we have now. You don't have them all remembered in, remembered in order? I barely even know who our president <laughs> is right now. <laughs> okay, so I I probably could not even take a guess. Let me think. 1849, you said? I'm trying to remember because I, I know more. Okay. <laughs> this so is really sad. Here's a little, I know little, more history hint. over it's, of it's five presidents. Who the queen was no, it's back five, then. It's five presidents before Abraham Lincoln. Oh, heavens. Yeah, I would not know. Five presidents before Abraham Lincoln? Mm-hmm. Help me out, Abby. Abby's looking it up right I, now. I didn't Our even, fearless producer I didn't is looking even know up. that person was a president. So. All right, Abby. <laughs> let's see if you got the right... Um, no, I think it's you. Who do you think it is? Well, Google says Zachary Taylor. <laughs> I was like, in 1849, is that even a president? I thought it was James Polk. Oh, it, wait, serving from March 1849. So there would have been two. Oh, so two. We're both right. Oh, well, oh. see, and I was like, let's see who is queen. Your your brain goes to who was queen. I go, who's president? That's a little before Queen um, Victoria. I also have a um, a, another old Bible that I have, a family Bible that was printed in 1870, and I keep these on my legacy shelf. So that Bible's over 150 years old. I'll test you again. Who was the president in 1870? Oh come on. I do not know. Do you, you have the presidents memorized? And yeah, order? wait. No, yeah. I just <laughs> start no, with number I just, one. Let's go. No, I just George Washington. No, I just remember no, number two. No, no, no. I just <laughs> no, I just remember these details. Ulysses S. Grant was president in 1870. I just remember because of the Bibles. I think you're cheating somewhere. You have notes somewhere that you're like, and do you know who the president was in 1922? So these thoughts go through my mind, like. Like, Probably, yes. You know, when I when I preached this sermon here at New Life, I put those two Bibles in a stack. And I started talking about, like, I don't know how long these Bibles have been in, in our family. Um, when my grandfather, Neil, died at the age of 99 back in 1997, he had all these old Bibles. And I'd asked my aunt at the time, who was who was living at his house and kind of caring for him, 
I asked her in the family, would anybody care if I became the keeper of the Bibles? And so these, and nobody cared. And so these two old Bibles, I don't know how long they've been in our family, but our family tree is printed in the beginning in the front cover of one of them, which is really interesting. Yeah. And I was going through all these Bibles and, and let me tell you, in these two Bibles, I found lots of things that have been stored in the Bible. I mean, these Bibles are huge, like um, lots and lots of old funeral notifications, like um, newspaper clippings from the 1800s. Um, there is hair, locks of hair, I'm assuming from a funeral. That's kind of weird. In the yeah, it's a little weird. But you know, all of these, um, fu- like 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 somebody in the church died, and you keep the 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 handout, and you got all these hand and and, and newspaper clippings. I found all kinds of stuff. Maybe in these we Bibles. should put some of your locks of hair in there too. <laughs> oh, stop it! It have to be beard locks because I don't have. We pass it on. A <laughs> hundred years from now, our great great grandchildren's like, and this was your great great grandpa Joe's beard. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I'm sorry, that's so weird. That is so weird. Yeah, but you know, as a parent, we used to take locks of hair and put it in the baby's album. The baby books, so yeah. That makes a little bit more sense, especially if it was like a like a lock of hair from a baby, maybe. I don't know. I don't know, but I had this thought that... But it would be weird if we put a lock of your beard it, it hair. It would be really but weird. But I think I might do it just oh, for kicks. <laughs> we should braid it. <laughs> And like 100 years from now. I'm like, going to take a picture of it and tape it into one of the Bibles and be like, That's If weird. these Bibles are still in our family 100 years from now, that would be awesome. But, you know, I, I told the church when I was preaching this, you know, I had these on a stand and I, and I said, I can't prove this and I don't know for sure. But if these Bibles have been in our family lineage since 1849, what if these were the Bibles that early, early, early uh, members of, of my heritage they became Christians reading these Bibles. Hmm. And they just continued to pass this down from generation to generation. I thought, hmm. how amazingly cool yeah. is that? To think that these very Bibles were used in the passing down of Christianity from one generation to the next. Yeah. And if that is true, I'm actually holding an incredible piece of history of our family. Mm-hmm. And so they're not worth anything except to me, they're extremely valuable things. Um, you know what else I found in these Bibles? I found uh, what was called a temperance, uh, a, a temperance pledge card. Oh, what's and, that? Well, I'll read it to you. I've got it right here. It says, it's a small little card, and it says, temperance pledge, with malice toward none and charity for all, I, the undersigned, pledge my word and honor, God helping me, to abstain from all intoxicating liquors as a beverage, and that I will, by all honorable means, encourage others to abstain. And then somebody signed it, and it's very faint. I can't read the signature, but it was signed in Columbia, Missouri on February 28th, 1878. Wow. Uh, and so that card from 1878 was stuck in the Bible. Somebody, I don't know if this is a family, I don't recognize the name, I can't tell what name it is, but maybe a family member, somebody stuck in there. And I think it's kind of like the True Love Waits or the Promise Rings, mm-hmm. or you remember the True Love Weights pledges that yeah. that we took during the uh, during the back in the nineties and stuff. I think it's kind of like that. It's like signing a pledge. Hey, I'm not going to go out and get drunk, and I'm going to sign my name to this. Or I'm not going to drink at all. Sounds like I'll take. We take a not picture. Just drunk. That's like I'm not going. I'm going to abstain. Yeah. But 1878, that card's been stuck in that Bible since wow. then. It was awesome. That's kind of cool that they thought to put all those things in there. Yeah. But just looking at my legacy shelf. Um, there's a book up there. It's a commentary called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And that book was written by my great-grandfather, H.C. Williams. He was a preacher and a self-taught, self-trained preacher and traveled all over, evangelist and preacher. And um, and so that, that my, that's my great-grandfather. And, and he died preaching a sermon. I mean, he was just preaching his heart out. And my understanding is he had a stroke right there in the pulpit and collapsed. And wow. that was it. And I've thought for a long time, man, what a way to go. I mean, what a way to go. I mean, you're, you're just preaching. The last words off your mouth are about following Jesus and having faith in him. And bam, you're done. Yeah. That. I mean, I don't want that experience for myself. <laughs> I but say, that's not. <laughs> it'll be caught on video now. <laughs> It's like, no, forget that. Um, like, are we gonna, still going to post that one <laughs> online? <laughs> it have a million views. Joe finally went viral. Oh, um, my <laughs> we are demented. We're a little demented. But, but that commentary has a neat history. I, my dad had a, uh, this commentary that he wrote from, or from 1917, so it's over 100 years old. Um, um, my dad had a copy of it. I remember as a kid looking at it, and it was all beat up. He had it taped up. And, and, um, and I got into ministry and I thought, man, you know how cool it'd be to have a copy of that old commentary. So I called standard publishing, which is the, you know, which was the company that published it back then. And, um, um, and played phone tag with him for like weeks. And finally, and I told him what I was looking for in this. Finally, somebody called me back and like, okay. Now you're looking for a book called that we publish called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, obviously out of print, and um, <laughs> yeah, obviously by H. C. Williams, and you want it because you're his great grandson, and you just want it, and you're wanting to know how we can get it, how you can get a copy of it. Mm-hmm. I said yes, I've looked all over, and they're like, well, we'll try to help you if we can, and and oh, a couple days later they called me back and they said, you're not going to believe this. You know, we keep one archive copy of everything that we've ever published and we keep it like in a, you know, in a, on a shelf somewhere in their factory or in their, uh, wherever they, they keep it. And they said, for some reason, we had two copies of that commentary hmm. and been sitting on that shelf for a hundred, you know, wasn't quite a hundred years back then, but I've had that book now for 20 years, but you know, 90, 80, 90 years has just been sitting on their shelf and it was almost in mint condition. And they said, we're going to send you our extra copy. And I said, oh no. I said, let me buy it. You know, I wouldn't, I said, and they said, no, no, no. We're just going to give it to you. You're, you're his great grandson. I said, well, I just told you I was, there's no, he didn't ask for my ID, but I guess they were thinking who in the world would want this other than a great grandson (laughs) want this book. And so I said, well, can I please pay for the shipping? And they're like, no, we don't even we don't even know where we don't even know what line item to put that money. So just oh, wow. so about a week later, this almost mint condition book came, and I'm like, so it's been a treasured possession. Yeah. And then I got to thinking more about this, and um, I'm like, uh, well, what else can I collect? So I got a copy of my great grandfather's Bible when he passed away. Mm-hmm. I asked, or no, excuse me, my grandfather Neil. He wasn't a preacher, but he was a church leader. Which, and, and by great. the way, our son Neil is named after. Our him. son Neil is named after him. So, so I was able to get a hold of one of those Bibles. And what was fascinating to me because my grandfather Neil was a studier of God's word. I remember as a mm-hmm. little boy, um, you know, sitting on his lap and he'd talking about the word, and and he had a globe that he would spin and he would point to all the places in the world that he had been. He was a he was a, a writer, an editor for the Tulsa Oil and Gas Journal way mm-hmm. back in the day, and I guess back in the late '30s he quit that job or the '40s and went to be a chicken farmer in Cleveland, Oklahoma, and so 
um, fascinating life. But mm-hmm. anyway, I got one of his Bibles, and what I was fascinated by, it's that one sitting up there on the shelf, fascinated by how all the pages in the corners had turned brown. You know why they turned brown? It's the oil from your fingers, from lots and lots of handling. And it's written all. Of, I've got my grandfather's who died at night and was 99 years old. I got all of his handwritten notes. I can go through there. And in every sermon, every Sunday school class, where he wrote oh, things down that were important to him. I and that's one of my treasured possessions. I got a Bible from my dad because I was doing a funeral one time. And uh, the family that uh, I was doing the funeral for requested all the scripture out of out of uh, King James. Oh, and. I did not have a King James Bible. So I said, hey, Dad, you got an old King James I could have? And he, I think he mailed it to me. And um, and he said, just keep it. And so I've got that. So And then I have my Bible. So I, so when I came here to, Can- or to, to Bella Vista, I preached that sermon. I put the, two, I put the Bible on bottom from 1849. I put the next Bible from, from 1870. And then I put that commentary from 1917. Then I put my, from my great-grandfather. Then I put the, my grandfather's Bible on there. Then I put my dad's Bible on. Then I put my Bible on there. And I just talked uh, as a visual illustration about, you know, somebody from this generation, the bottom Bible, told the person of this generation, the next Bible, mm-hmm. then told the person in the next generation, which is my great-grandfather, who turned around and told the next generation, my grandpa, who turned around and told the next generation, my dad, who turned around and told the next generation, me. Right. And and that, that has hit me so hard that the Bible had been a big deal to every generation up to me for going back five or six that I can tell. And I and, and I was like, I'm going to make sure with everything I've got that the next generation after me, which would be mm-hmm. Neil and Brock, is going to know. Now, they got to own their own faith. Yeah. But they're going to know that the Bible's a big deal in this family, and it is your guide through life. It is God's it's the inspired word of God, and it will never fail you, and and this is the guide for your life. And so I hope we've done that. We, we've tried mm-hmm. to, you know, to instill that in them, and I, and I know that they would say that. That's not a mystery to them. But anyway, um, that I guess, I guess next podcast I'll get a chance to share my history. You should share your legacy. <laughs> Give me our. But time. we want to make sure the Bible is a big deal. If you want to build a lasting legacy, if you want to leave not something just for somebody, but you want to put something in somebody, um, a legacy, then mm-hmm. make the Bible a big deal. And the other thing is just live out your faith in front of your children, yeah. and 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 your grandchildren. And that well, doesn't. We didn't do anything or everything perfectly. And you just have to be well, no parent does. real with your kids and own your mistakes, but you know, make sure you're constantly having conversations with yeah. them about their walk, your own walk, your faith, the Lord. Have the hard conversations. Prayer together, let them know. I mean, hey, I'm going through a hard time. Let's pray together, you know. Yeah. And I think it's okay to, you know, a lot of parents struggle with this, and you know, I struggle with this, but letting your kids see where you're vulnerable to. You know, there have been times where I've had to go back to my boys where I've lost my cool and yelled at them or whatever, and I later go, shouldn't have done that. Or if I stepped out of line, I've gone back to my boys and said, hey, oh, I blew it. Sure. I'm sorry. You know, I my dad did that for me, you know, yeah. and I've always appreciated that. He's something still in me. <laughs> you know, my favorite I'm sorry story from my dad. So I was a little boy and we were driving and he was taking us to Brahms ice cream for ice cream <laughs> after church one day. And I remember where we lived, we had to cross pretty heavy lane of traffic to pull into Brahms. And it was raining and it was foggy and and he just mistimed it. He pulled out and we got sides we got we got hit Ooh. in the door by not, not a real violent not a violent impact. But I remember my dad who I've never heard my dad cuss one day in my whole life. Um, 
never knew my dad to ever say a lie mm-hmm. or ever say a mean word. He wasn't a guy that ever made fun of people. He was just a wonderful guy in every mm-hmm. way. So we got drilled, and my dad goes, Ah, oh, dag nabbit. Well, that was a cuss word in my family. Okay, <laughs> none of us. Around, that was would, not allowed. Yeah, but he goes, Ah, oh, dag nabbit. And of course, I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> so. So after we got that all sorted out, he did go over and take us to get ice cream. And so we got home and he came and sat on the end of my bed and he said, he said, Joey, it was Joey back then. This is, this is where I love, it shows his heart and how innocent he is. Yeah. He said, Joey, he said, I need to ask for your forgiveness. And I'm like, I don't know. I couldn't have been more. I, I know I definitely wasn't over fourth grade. This is somewhere second, third grade. I can't remember. Um, because we were living in Lawton at the time when this happened. And he said, I need you, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I'm like, for what? And he said, Well, I really try to set a great example and not let cuss words come out of my mouth. And I cussed in front of you when we got hit by the car. And I just need you to forgive me. And of course, Dag Nabbit was a cuss word for my dad's, but but he felt bad enough. He was vulnerable enough. And he said, I'm, you know, he, he's like, I'm trying to live out my faith and be a good example mm-hmm. for you guys. And I didn't do it tonight. And <laughs> I'm going. I will say that I've never heard my dad cuss either. And mm-hmm. he's never said a bad word. And I remember there being a time in my life that we're like, ah, oh, dang it. And he's like, uh, excuse me. I'm like, Ugh. Oh man. And he's like, excuse me? Like, well, what are we allowed to say? He's like, you don't need to say anything. I was like, oh my goodness. Don't say that either. <laughs> anyway, he just he just never said a bad word. But I also he comes from a line of a family um with that legacy. My my grandma, his mom, um, came over on a boat from Sweden when she was three. Um, my great grandma um, I remember in college having an argument with her in the backseat of the car. She could not hear me. That's why it was an argument. It was really <laughs> one-sided. And she was just talking about the return of Jesus and the end times. And um, so my whole family um, loves Jesus. And so it's it's just that's like a really small glimpse of my legacy there. But they somehow... Um, Someone taught them, you know, showed them Jesus, and that's been years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what year my grandma came over here from Sweden, um, but she tells me about it, you know. And so, and the fact that her family and her brother. But when and, we were at Ellis Island a couple of years, we yeah. were trying to track down because they came right through Ellis Island. Yep, and signed, signed the, the books, book. and yeah. somebody found their signatures there. We didn't find them that day. Yeah, but. But I know they're there. Yeah. So that's just a small glimpse. But that's my dad's side of the family. And um, my dad, too, doesn't ever um, say anything bad. But a little quick story to wrap it up. My grandma, who was in the back seat of the car, um, we were on our way to Easter service one year (laughs) when I was in college. And we had picked her up. She was still living on her own, I think at 95 in Denver. We went and picked her up for church and we were driving to church. And like I said, she couldn't hear very well. Um, And so I was just trying to talk to her and lean into her ear and, you know, like talk to her about the Lord and 
I was this in Bible was, college back then. And this so was, was Easter like, Sunday. Yeah, so I was working my working my um, program there of all my Bible college knowledge. So we got to church. We got to church a few minutes late. We snuck in. We kind of got separated from my grandparents. So my grandparents sat somewhere else, and I sat with my great-grandma um, in another pew. And I just handed her the bulletin. And this really cool service, it wasn't a huge church, but they started playing trumpets to kind of start the service. And my grandma had read something in the bulletin and she yelled. Because she couldn't hear. This is the day of the resurrection. <laughs> and I was like, oh my word. It had just dawned on her. It wasn't just Sunday. It wasn't just any other Sunday. This was resurrection Sunday. And so um, I just kind of was like, look? yes, everybody in the church looked like as if she was part of the, <laughs> after the trumpets play, ma'am, then you're going to yell, this is the day of the resurrection. That was definitely not planned. But I still, every, every Easter, I'll wake up. This is the day the resurrection. So she was just so excited and had, it had not dawned on her that it was resurrection Sunday. Yeah. So. Well, I'm, that's a neat legacy. I'm proud of our family legacy. And I, you know, so, some, I would imagine some people listening would be like, man, my family legacy is nothing like yours. <laughs> and, but here's the deal. Um, you have the ability to change your family tree anytime you want. And you can, you can decide this is the, that like, like we have a bunch of first generation Christians in our church. Like they, their family tree changed Mm -hmm. when they followed Christ and, and no matter where you're at, you you can decide right now, I'm going to leave this kind of legacy. So we decided early when we had kids, we're going to make the Bible a big deal and we're going to, for the very best of our abilities, we're going to try to live out our faith um, in front of our kids, let them. So, who people see on Sunday is who our children see on Monday. Mm-hmm. It's consistent. Try to be the same people all the time. And you know what motivates me with that, besides my own family history, but like when Paul that talked about Timothy and how he learned from Lois and Eunice, and um, Paul said in Second Timothy one five, he said to Timothy, "I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which was first lived in your grandmother Lois." And in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So what what did what did Timothy see growing up? The importance of God's word mm-hmm. and faithful Christianity in his in the adults around him. Mm-hmm. And that's how, in my mind, that's how you set a wonderful legacy. The children have to decide when they're of age what they're going to believe. Your faith isn't going to get your kids into heaven and just claiming to believe what their parents believe won't either. They got to own it. And so we try to teach our boys, own your faith. Um, and it's real, but, but you know, if you, that's to me, that's, that's how you build a legacy. That's all for today's show. We want to thank our amazing producer, Abby O'Brien. Be sure to check out our show notes and the links for things that we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for joining us on Under Under the the Hood. Hood. Not a car show. This will, you'll love this. Oh, I can't wait. You ready? I'm ready. Are you guys ready? We're ready. Are we recording? Yes. Okay. We're even getting along. This isn't even like a, we're not getting along and I'm already annoyed. You're pre-annoyed. <laughs>
I'm going to eat. I am pre-annoyed. Kirsten wakes up pre-annoyed. 